Act Now is produced by Goal 17 Media, storytellers for the common good. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Act Now, the official podcast of Act Theater. I'm John Langs. I'm the artistic director of Act Theater. So on March 23rd, because of the social distancing mandates due to COVID-19, we had to walk out of our theater. But just because you can't come through our theater doors doesn't mean we can't continue to bring a little bit of ACT Theater to you with the incredible and generous partnership of Goal 17 Media. So today, I have the great pleasure of introducing to you the creative minds behind one of our upcoming productions. But before I introduce them to talk about their audacious new world premiere musical, I wanted to tell you a story that might shed some light on what a special city that we all live in. And it's a story that should make you proud that we share this artistic community. 10 years ago, when I came to ACT Theater, there had been a collaboration between my predecessor, the remarkable Kurt Beatty, and David Armstrong, who had run the Fifth Avenue. And the idea was that two large theater institutions could collaborate to make something very unique that either one independently of the other could not make by themselves. And so the ACT Fifth Avenue Copra was born. The idea being that both companies would benefit from shared resources and the smaller venues at ACT Theater for bold contemporary work. The very first musical was Vanities, and Kurt and David didn't have to wait long for the success as their sophomore effort, a world premiere musical first date, went from the ACT Fifth Avenue co-production to Broadway. But that's just a first impression. I could be totally wrong. And I don't know how many of you know that Seattle has a very special reputation in the national community as being a great training ground for new musicals. This effort has been led by the Fifth Avenue, and through their dedicated work, Seattle has provided a nurturing and creative environment for producers and creatives outside of the overwhelming scrutiny of the East Coast. We also have this other great thing going for us, a very sophisticated and discerning audience. And these elements have made our city a leading player in the national musical theater scene. Now, this ACT Fifth Avenue collaboration is uniquely suited to nurture the more modern trends of music theater. Uh, musicals these days are written about all kinds of things. If you think about Little Shop of Horrors, it's about a blood-sucking plant. If you think about Town, it's about a city where they start to charge people to do a basic biological function. Well, in the vein of those shows, here comes the next great co-production of ACT Theater. You all remember the story, perhaps, of a woman who found a severed finger in a bowl of chili. Somewhere in our collective zeitgeist, that story sits. And it is the genius of our next guests to have taken that myth and teased it into a full-throated musical that has a lot to say about the world we live in. And as we all know nowadays, that you don't get to your audience's heart unless you go through their funny bone. They have used humor to put under a microscope many of the society's ills that we're all faced with. So without further ado, let me welcome local playwright Wayne Raleigh. And from his isolation in New York City, 
composer Martin Lowe. I'd been hearing a lot of Wayne's work in short form through a group of theater artists who performed sort of a radio show live on stage. And every time I heard a piece that I liked, I would ask, who wrote this piece? And the answer was always the same. It was Wayne Raleigh. And so when his script rolled through the door and he had some terrific advocates for it, um, I began to read, thought this gentleman has a unique and clear voice and it needs a platform for our Seattle audience. I, I met Martin actually through his husband who is a wonderful music director. And we began to have a conversation and I knew his work from the musical once, Jerry Springer, the opera. And we had also talked about the Perpetual Ladies of Secour. All of these musicals had a sort of very contemporary form-breaking edge to them. And I also knew that he had just started to compose. He had composed Pinocchio at the National Theater, a production for John Tiffany. And we began to speak about that process. And I could tell that this was a composer ready um, to have a, a, a large canvas show in the spotlight. And when I read Wayne's Tome on America, which is what Chili Finger is, and I thought about Martin's music, I thought, what a perfect marriage. In conversations with Martin, uh, he, kept, he kept telling me, well, you know, I'm working on something right now. And he's a very humble guy. And so I would continually nudge, like, what are you working on? And it turns out that he was orchestrating Harry Potter uh, at the theater in London and, and then again when it came to New York. So it was a coup for ACT Theater to get such a remarkable talent to write this musical. This was just one of those wonderful moments of being an artistic director where you get to be a, a little bit of a matchmaker and you get to take a look at the quality of one person's art and the quality of another person and say, I think if we put these two ingredients together, we could have something remarkable and special. Wayne and Martin had never worked together, but their body of work suggested that something between the two of them would be a great creation. Hello guys, welcome. It's so wonderful to see your faces. I always feel like in this time of isolation, this moment when um, you go into a Zoom meeting and the faces appear on the screen, there's just an outpouring of, of joy to see you. So it's great to see you, Wayne and Martin from New York. Now, Martin, I just heard that you had the antibody test from COVID. How, how are you? I'm fine. I, of, of course, I'm, I'm a Brit. So, you know, we automatically always think we're not ill. You know, it's a very sort of keep calm and carry on. So I thought I just had a little little virus or a cold, you know, a month or so, five weeks ago, six weeks ago. Um, and of course, I ended up getting tested. And of course, I had I had it. Um, and then I finally got the all clear two days ago because I got the antibody test. So wow. um, I'm so glad. Good to hear. It's really good to well, hear. Two swabs and an antibody test later. Yeah, I'm clear. Wow. Well, I am so glad and grateful. And, um, you know, I think, guys, after this, the world is going to need a great deal of humor. And you are bringing it with this new collaboration, Chili Finger, the musical. So Wayne, uh, local Seattle playwright, Wayne Raleigh, um, I want to know where this idea came from and how you, how you began to shape this story. Sure. This has been, you know, 15 years in the making. So, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, I try to be very clear that this play is not a true story. Um, I always lead with that. 
the event that inspired the play did actually happen. Um, but beyond that, my, my play, the idea was, is, and has always been a fantasy because I was living in the Bay Area and I had just moved away from Seattle for the first time in my life and I was living in the Bay Area and this news story broke um, in the local, the local news in the Bay Area, San Francisco Chronicle and San Jose News, Mercury, whatever it is. A, a woman had uh, walked into a, a, a fast food restaurant, ordered a bowl of chili and found a human finger in the bowl of chili. Now that in and of itself is, is it's the stuff of legend and literally urban legend um, as we, uh, you know, and, and which is part of the piece is that um, urban legends around food we eat, especially fast food, especially processed food have been in our culture for decades. I mean, growing up, my favorite stories were about the girl who found a snake vertebra and her baby Ruth bar. Um, obviously if you eat pop rocks and drink a diet Pepsi, your head will explode if you do them in, in one after the other. Um, maggots in this types of food, maggots in that type of food. Um, one of my favorites is that the, 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 the inventor of Pringles, when he died in his will, he wanted to be cremated and his ashes were either, depending on the story you hear, they were either put uh, deliberately or accidentally fell into a vat of Pringles, which were then baked and sold um, throughout the country. Who knows where, who knows who ate them, but they're they're legends that speak to the uh, that speak to the, the the concern and the worry we have about what we're being fed. And of course, there's a metaphor there for the gods, and that's kind of what I latched onto. Um, but but what but really it was about me watching the person who did this was was found out. She admitted her crime. Um, she was thoroughly and resoundingly vilified by the press. Every day there was a story in the paper about how disgusting this woman was, how evil she was, how she ruined all these people's lives who worked at the, the, the restaurant and, and would, would, would confidence ever come back, blah, blah, blah. And me being who I am, I immediately felt um, great solidarity. And that's the word <laughs> with this woman, because I thought that I was like, wow, they're going to make sure that no one ever tries this again because it almost worked. But what, what I walked away with from the crime, not, not the characters, but the crime itself was, was that what if this wasn't a petty, disgusting criminal act, but what if it wasn't an act of revolution, of rebellion? And is there a world where this woman, instead of being a petty, disgusting criminal, might be a folk hero? And so that was the story that I wanted to tell. And it's a fantasy because it didn't happen and hasn't happened. But this woman, uh, you know, goes from punchline to folk hero. That's the story. That's the story I wanted to tell because she was just, you know, obviously she, she, there was, there, there was a place for her in the pantheon of these urban legends, right? This one happened to be true, not in the way that urban legends often are, but this one happened to be true, and it's the and that's the stuff of, of of folk tales. And folk heroes are always sung about, so I knew that it had to be a music. Well, that's where I want to just sort of transition because one of the great gifts that you get as an artistic director is that you get to play matchmaker every once in a while. And 
This script landed on my desk at, at ACT Theater through our literary manager, Sammy Detzer, who's an incredible, I think she's a genius. And she laid this on my desk and said, you have to look at this. And Martin, you and I had been having a conversation for a while about, about theater in general. And I knew I liked your mind and I loved the body of work that you were building as a professional. I mean, you've done some very, very strange and uh, wonderful shows. Um, Jerry Springer, the opera, um, certainly your work on Once, um, that, oh gosh, the show about the schoolgirls whose name is... Uh, Our Ladies of Perpetual Sucker. Wonderful, wonderful piece of work. And, and I knew that we wanted to work together, but I was uh, sensitive to not totally understanding your taste because it has varied wildly. And just if I look at your body of work. So I sent you four scripts and it took you about two minutes to decide that Chili Finger was the one that you wanted to work on. And I, I would love to, you know, get into your head about what that, this, how that decision came down. <laughs> well, the, 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 the trashy answer, of course, is you sent me, there was three scripts and, and one treatment. And the one treatment was just a one page treatment. And that was Chili Finger. So I thought, well, I'll do that one first because that'll take me five minutes. And it said, Chili Finger, exclamation point, the, the musical. And then, and then there was Wayne's one page treatment. And I just read it. And well, and actually before I even read it, just the top of it, Chili Finger the Musical, I went, that is bold. That <laughs> is bot old. And, and, and then I just read his treatment. And went, well, that is just brilliant. And then, of course, I spent the next week reading the other three huge scripts he sent me. Um, and You're welcome. Back You're to, welcome. <laughs> thank you. That's nice. And then kept coming back to Chili Finger because it was a really simple, bold hook that got me in, that made me want to read the page, uh, read, read his one page. And I thought, well, if I'm drawn to, to just the idea and then looking about what this idea actually is, then I think other people will have the same reaction when they just see the title. Yeah, I, and, and I think that you um, almost initially came up, I remember our very early conversations with a, I would say a texture to the music that you offered almost right away. It struck me that what this, score needed. It needed a jolly, jolly sing-along score that the audience would sort of know and, and, and sort of, uh, it would sort of feel familiar to them. And I thought, well, what, what's the best thing I could do here? And it would sort of be Americana, campfire, folk music. And I said to you, um, John, wouldn't it be funny if I could get Wayne's lyrics and try and just crowbar them into public domain Americana folk tunes that people know and try and make, that, make them fit, even if it's not terribly sophisticated, but it might be an experiment worth trying so that the audience always feel that they know that they know every, every song that's coming up so that we can take that off the table. We can take the pressure of me creating a huge score because on my best day, I'm not Andrew Lloyd Webber, I'm not Stephen Sondheim, I'm not that. But I do, I do understand folk music and I understand the power of folk music. And I wanted to tap into that to sort of relax the audience or get the audience into a false sense of security about the story we were about to tell. And our fingers You hit on a, on a question that I think a lot of people love to ask, you know, uh, book writer, lyricist, composer, collaboration, and what comes first, the music or the lyrics, and how do you shape a song once those things are in place? 
Yeah, I um, I've actually I've I've really enjoyed it because uh, Martin lets me um, kind of throw stuff on the page, and I don't have to worry about getting it right the first time. I don't have to worry about. So I basically what we've been doing so far, with with some exception actually, when we're actually in the room together, I actually get to go and write lyrics on his score, which is very fun for me. Um, but but. Um, other than that, when we're not in the room together, when we're working, when we're working the rest of the year, basically I will write lyrics or a stab at a song, and a lot of times that is just me dumping out a stream of consciousness. I mean, I've sent him actual stanzas to just big long lists that kind of rhyme every third line or fifth line. I mean, you know, and I don't have to worry about about him judging it or saying, "Oh, what the hell is this?" I know that he's into taking that and seeing what what strikes him and then we go from there and then we really get down to and then martin really brings me to task on on my rhyme scheme and making sure that you know i'm not using false rhymes or what i i i always thought they were called slant rhymes but apparently there's not even any such thing as that but uh so he really brings me to task and and uh and we work it out there and we we get down to the syllable level and that's it's all it's all amazingly fun for me i actually I, I love it all. I love the structure. I love the. Uh, I love being told you have four syllables to to get this, you know, idea across. And then that and that's where Martin and I kind of work really side by side. But so far, it's been me. It's been me giving him words. And then the words go to you, Martin, and then you just begin the process. Now we talked a little bit about the Americana tapestry of folk music that has woven its way into the spine of Chili Finger. But there's other kinds of music in the piece too. And I think one of the surprises of the piece for me and why I wanted our act theater audience to see it so badly was there's a ballast to it too. The, at a certain point you pick your moments and something else happens. Yeah, yes. I mean, I think I started this project thinking, oh, well, this will be easy. I'll just choose all my favorite American folk songs and that'll be me good for like three hours. Fine. I realized, or we all realized very quickly that I couldn't, I couldn't, we, the piece couldn't sustain that because it's a fun idea. But as you, as we found with the piece and as we found with the characters, it just changes. The piece starts off and it's, and it's sort of great fun. It's a horrific, it's a horrific incident that happens at the start. And we juxtapose that with, with, with lots of fun Americana campfire music. But as the piece progresses, and we get more into, uh, get more involved in the humanity of these characters. And it just felt um, that the music needed to change as well. And so we've sort of, we started to move away. Um, I started to move away from the Americana folk music and then looked at other, actually I looked at other political um, pop music that had happened since, you know, in the 70s and the 80s and 90s and looked at music that I'd enjoyed and a lot of it had been um, really political writers, um, wh whether it be Tom Waits or Leonard Cohen or Tracy Chapman or Bruce Springsteen, um, and just and just went, what is what is what is unique about these songs? What is American about these songs? What could we do? So it moves away. And on top of that, as well as that, very early on, I realised I needed to write the last number. And Wayne had written a text for the for how the show, how he thought the show would end. And it struck me that if I if I could write the music for the final song, and I knew I had all these folk songs at the beginning, then 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 I knew where I was going to end up. Then I could just find out what the middle would be, and the end the the end just 
just almost wrote itself in an afternoon. Uh, and it became very clear that we had to write an American anthem for, the, for this piece and these characters in this situation. And once we had that in place, then the middle of the show started to sort itself out, how we got from Americana to an anthem. I just remember that moment in the room, and it's this elegiac, is that a word? Did I say that right? An <laughs> elegy you've written right at the end of that piece. And it reminded me of a story, oh God, uh, that I've loved from the theater for years. It made me feel this way, where um, all of the wonderful comedy had rolled into a place uh, that had really opened my heart up and... I was feeling so deeply for the characters at that particular moment. I remember when the cast sang it for the first time. The song is called When the Finger Bites the Hand, which I think is such a terrific metaphor. And the story that I remember from the theater is from Waiting for Lefty. Clifford Odette's play and the story that was passed down through generations is on the opening night of that particular piece, the audience um, was on their feet as the audience, as the actors on stage were encouraging um, each other to strike, to go out into the streets and strike for the first time, uh, stand up for themselves. Uh, and the world was hurting at that point. Um, and the audience in the theater itself jumped on their feet with their fists in the air and started yelling, strike, strike. Strike, strike. It's kind of why I keep going back to the theater to try to find those moments. And I have to say, in that rehearsal room with you guys, I don't know, Wayne, you were there in that moment too. I think we, we, we sort of looked at each other and we're like, I think, I think we got something here. We had a really fun opening song. And then when we heard that, the, the closing song, I was like, okay, this is, yes, this is going to work. As long as we can bring the audience along from that first song to this song. Yeah, it's every bit of what I wanted this of what I wanted this to be, this uh, this piece. We started this at a brand new theater festival. We started, I think, two years ago now, the Act One Theater Festival. We were bringing in, you know, people like Wayne and Martin from around the country and locally to work together to workshop some new plays. And we got into the room and we kicked through the first act of this play. We came back a year later and we forced ourselves into a 14-day period where we wanted to see the second act of the play. And it was at that time that people who had seen both the first act and the second act started to talk about a very particular song in the show. That seemed to be, um, the, it's the anthem of the, the lead character, Rose Sunday, um, kind of her breaking point song. And we're okay to use all of the language that we need to describe this particular piece. But uh, I would love martin or wayne to tell us like the impulse for that particular song which uh literally i think will be on coffee mugs and uh post-it notes around the country after uh, after the show opens maybe t-shirts we'll see i'm all out of fucks is the name of the song Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know. It's just, I, it's just, that's a, that's a, a, a phrase and a song that's, that's, I think, taken right out of our time. It's, you know, uh, something that I was introduced to on social media, which is, again, part of this piece as well. You know, this idea 
that you're all out of fucks, but it's, it's timeless. I mean, every, you know, people have been all out of fucks throughout history and that's often what causes change. Right. And, uh, when you, when you just don't really have anything left to lose, You know, the song itself is is very simple. I think it's funny. You know, it just says the F word over and over and over and over again. <laughs> and I never really expected anything beyond that. Um, we have we have worked it so that it does a little bit more heavy lifting. And I think that's good because um, it is at a very pivotal point in the show. But the people I, I guess I was I was surprised by by people's, you know, reaction them wanting to to know where they could download the MP3. <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> All right. I had people asking me for a lyric sheet that they wanted to post on their fridge. Uh, it became the yeah. anthem of the second floor at Act Theater on some days. Uh, yeah, and, and it, it is, uh, I feel like more and more you feel people hitting, getting close to a breaking point and it gives such expression to those feelings. And then Martin, the way you set it to music, uh, that is just one big, it feels like one big crescendo to me. Yeah. I it was a funny investigation, having having done all of these folk songs, and then for Wayne to give me this lyric about I'm all I'm all out of fuck, and I just thought, what what musically, what is all out of fuck? And I thought, well, it's just one chord, isn't it? I mean, that's all I can be. That's all I've got left in me. I've got one chord over and over and over again. The same chord. It's like I'm being hit on the head with a mallet with the same chord, and it's the it's the most horrible thing to write it was completely unpleasant and i had to keep walking away from it and coming back so i'm like if i play this chord one more time I'm like, <laughs> do unspeakable um but i thought that's what it has to be and it only changes it only changes the chord when it absolutely has to when it starts to reference something else um that you will hear when you see it and it's a um, is it a march martin i mean that's what i've always is, it's a march yeah. right i mean is that what it is that's yes, what it is yes right? it's, yeah it's a march and, and, but, and yeah, I think I, I think so. It sort of turned into a march. It was supposed to. It really was supposed to be like being hit over the head by, by one chord for three and a half minutes. I was thinking, and that was my um, game to myself. How long can I stay on one chord and not move before it, before I'm going mad? Um, as the character sort of going mad. It's a it's a powerful thing, and also using that kind of language. You know, I spent a long time working on Jerry Springer the Opera, which is one of the most you know um, explicit. Um, a show with the most explicit language I've ever worked on. So I know the power of it, and I know you have to treat it very carefully with a huge amount of respect. So I was, I'm was i very mindful of that with that song. Well, I have to give a shout-out to Sarah Rudinoff, who has plays Rose, ah, who's played, um, Rose Sunday for us in, in every iteration that the three of us have worked on, the four of us have worked on together. Um, and she signed on to play this for us when, you know, knock on wood, the world gets back to normal. But speaking of that, you guys, it's been a very strange time. When last we left each other's physical presence, we were waiting to see if this was actually going to come together and be the 10th collaboration between the Fifth Avenue and Act Theater. Uh, we were holding our breath. Uh, we made our best pitch in the room. Uh, it was thrilling to hear um, and to be able to tell you both in my own cagey way, where I think I, I texted you <laughs> and said, can we talk now? Um, and then both on the phone to be able to to, to let loose the news, um, which uh, was just, for me, um, 
having worked on it for so long and really, really believing in this show, uh, a great moment. But it's, the world has changed. Um, you know, we opened the show uh, with, you know, talking to Martin about, you know, just being COVID free from your, your the test that you just took. And we're thinking about the world in different ways. And how does that affect what you guys are thinking about how the show moves forward now? It's a good question. And I think it's going to be an ongoing question. Um, it really is going to be something that we're going to have to be reacting and responding to throughout the next year. In fact, Martin and I have talked, there's a speech in the play where Rose lays it all out. She has a, this, this, not huge, but she has a big speech and it's not a song, which is, which is uh, important. But Martin and I were actually talking about, could this speech could contain multitudes and, you know, it could have, it could be different every night, um, you know, depending on the news or depending on what's, what's going on. And that's, I'm not, that's, I'm not saying that that's what we're doing, but, but it's, it's a possibility. And it just speaks to the fact that we, that because of what this play is about and because of where it goes, we do have to be able to respond to, to what's going on um, and to, and to um, what is going to help, you know, which I don't necessarily think that this play is, is, is bound to, to do any, you know, particular good or bad or anything like that. I'm a playwright, I'm not a politician, but I do want it to hit the right tone because I want it to reach people. Like the All Out of Fuck song, people respond to that song because they're feeling that it's, that's already in their head, right? It's not like, oh my gosh, they, we've opened their eyes to something. We're giving them something that they already feel. And that's what, and I think it's the same with, that was with waiting for lefty strike 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 that was already in there that's what the and that's what the theater does and that's what it's always done and that's what i want this play to do as well and so we need to be aware of where people are because what we really want is for people to to uh connect with that final song right and if we if we do our jobs and bring everybody along on this crazy story with all its ups and downs and all its fun and all its pain and all its stuff, when we hit that last song, it will be reverberating something that's all, that, is, it, that is inside them, if we do it right. I was very clear, though, I responded to this piece, not only because of the, the title of it and the, and the fact it was only one page long. Um, <laughs> I, I was definitely looking for a political piece of theatre to do. I'd worked on a, a very, very big production of the Three Penny Opera um, a few years ago and it had been very very unsuccessful um, and I'd been warned about doing the three penny opera which is you know piece written in the 30s which at the time really really spoke to its audience about the state of state of the world state of, uh, state of the nation and so I was definitely definitely fishing for for a piece to work on like that to try and make a piece of theatre that spoke to the to the world in the same way that that piece did but it can't do now because it's a different we're a different time and so while Chili Finger may not be particularly uh, prescient to, to COVID-19, it's certainly a state of the nation play, definitely a state of the nation play. And I think that's what theatre does really, really well. It can respond to the world quickly and nimbly. And actually without spending much money, you know, you can get a load of people in a room and a few chairs and a table and make some theatre. They did it, you know, think, think back to... Uh, the Sal Salman Rushdie when he published Satanic Verses um, and the fatwa that was placed on him. The Royal Court responded within months and had a play on about it. 
and I like the fact that we're, I, I, you know, I work in a medium that, that we can do that. And as Wayne says, we can't be blind or deaf to what's going on in the world, and, the, and it will, it will infect and affect what we write. But ultimately, you know, this is a very, this is a very broad show about many, many things that affect all of us. You know, not specifically what's going on at the moment, but you, you won't be able to look at this piece without thinking about the world as it is at the moment and as it will be next year when we do it. I mean, COVID has brought into some, some very sharp relief some of the inequalities that this, I think this play talks about that, you know, this play traffics in, you know, just the, the, the cracks and fissures in the system that we all, you know, are now wishing we could just go back to, right? Or are we? Maybe we're not. Um, it's all going to play out um, in the next few months, and I, I will be very interested to see how. Well, you guys, I just appreciate your continued work on this, and I understand that here in Seattle, we have a remarkably intelligent audience and they do bring the world with them into those audience seats. And like you said, Wayne, speaking to what is in them is part of what we do and part of what makes a great evening of theater. So we had a discussion just yesterday um, about rules, you know, here, here's Rosalinda Sunday. She is the great rule breaker. She's going to fight against, um, any kind of restrictions um and you know and here we are finding out that uh, restrictions may be the thing that save us so we have to listen and we have to adjust um for the reasons that you said i am thrilled that we get to put this on when last we left the world as we knew it uh chili finger was on the schedule of both act theater and the fifth avenue and god willing we'll see the show in may of 2021 so we look forward to seeing you when the curtain rises on Chili Finger. Oh, so great to see you guys. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much you, for John. this collaboration. Um, it's brought such joy to me, and I cannot wait to bring the joy of Chili Finger to the people. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, John, absolute pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. So as always, your support means the world to us. So please check out our previous podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. And the power of social media is our lifeblood during these times. So please check out Goal 17 Media or Act Theater Online, like it or share it. And if any of you have the means or the inclination, there is also a donation page below. And we appreciate anything that you can do to make sure that these great collaborations and thrilling new productions can come back. So thank you so much for considering us. I'm John Langs. I look forward to continuing our conversation next time on the Act Now podcast. Mm-hmm.